You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We've been in Revelation, and uh, we've been studying Christ and His church in the last days. And we looked at the Christ of the church. We looked at that phrase, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Tonight we're going to look at this letter that Jesus dictated and John pinned down to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to go through these seven verses. And I want to show you really the key verse and the verse that we, we've heard before. But it's really the crux of the message. We'll look in verse number 5 tonight, specifically verse 4 and 5. But we'll consider the entire letter. And let's ask God to meet with us and speak with us. Look with me here in verse number 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. You say, well, who is that? Well, that's Jesus. We learned that in the first chapter. So Christ is speaking here to his church. In his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not. And has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. Now, that's a very stark warning, because what he's saying is, I'll just shut your church down. If you don't get this right, then I'll just close it down. No reason for it to exist if you won't get this right. He said, I'll remove your candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That's that crowd that sort of set up that hierarchy and they lorded over the people, sort of like a priesthood would do here on earth. You can always mark a false religion when they have an earthly priesthood in this New Testament age. Amen. Our priesthood is spiritual. Right? We don't have a priest walking around in a robe that we have to go through to get to Christ. He is our high priest, and we are priests with God. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse number 4. Here's the problem in this church. They had left their first love. But then in verse number 5, there is a remedy, or we can say a recipe, for how to get it back. There's three steps. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. Number three, resume, or get back to doing what you used to do when you love Jesus like you ought to love Jesus. For a little while, I want to preach on those three words, remember, repent, and resume. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight to preach, and I ask you for liberty. Pray for power. I pray this message will get across from our heart to the hearts of our church family in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it could honestly revolutionize the way we deal with our own backsliding and the backsliding of others if we got less caught up in what was backslidden to and rather concentrated more on who was backslidden from. Now, I do think you have to deal with the sin that is obvious. 
But true contrition and repentance does not come simply from being sorry that we got caught up in sin, but rather it comes from the realization, I've broken the heart of the one who loves me more than anyone else could ever love me. The songwriter got it right when he said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And the Bible words it that way in verse number five, from whence. Remembering the from whence we fell will do a lot more in getting the prodigal to get right than just worrying about the what they fell into. When you read it in Luke 15, the prodigal boy's primary thought that got him headed back toward home was the thought that his father had been so good in his life. He realized he'd had it pretty bad there in the far country, and then he thought about how good it had been in the presence of his father. And when he remembered how much his father loved him, and how much he used to love his father, he thought, you know what, I don't think I can stay here with the pigs much longer. And it wasn't long before he got out of the hog pen and found himself back in his father's presence. I like that. The thought of his father's love for him had a stronger pull to get him right than the lust of the far country had a pull to get him wrong. Tonight, true repentance is not just feeling sorry over sin discovered, but it's also being broken that my sin has disappointed my Savior. You see, coldness to Christ is not a head issue. Coldness toward Christ first is a heart issue. We hear the phrase all the time, well, I fell into sin. Or we'll say, they fell into sin. But here the Bible is not emphasizing the landing place or where you fell. Rather, it is emphasizing who you fell away from. Far more heartbreaking than getting a little bit of mud on you from the pig pen is the fact that you have broken fellowship with the Father that loves you unlike anyone else has ever loved you. I'll say this, it is easy to wash the mud off. But it's not all that easy to reclaim that first love that we had when we first fell in love with Jesus. Wicked days wear on spiritual people. In fact, I'll say this. If you go a week in this world and not get disgusted about something, I doubt that you're saved. <laughs> Every day that we live in this world, we live like a rock face that juts out into the sea and the waves of sin just crash against us constantly. They crash on us every hour and they wear and they work and do their best to erode our faith and dull our fervor for the things of God. Everything in the atmosphere of this world is anti-Christ and does its best to pull us away from our relationship with Him. It has never been easy to be spiritual in the world. But in this hour, with the bombardment of sin that we see on every single side, it is absolutely wearing to the flesh and tiring to the spirit to try and maintain devotion to God. If you keep a fervent prayer life, it's because you purpose to. If you maintain a witness, it's because you purpose to. If you live separated, it's because you purpose to. If you stay in love with Jesus, like the first moments of your salvation, it's because you purpose to. You can see it. These last days are not days where there's a crowd running around asking for a cross to bear. There's not a large crowd seeking to hold up a high standard or lift up the blood-stained banner. And if you and I are going to break that norm and keep a fiery devotion to the Lord, we're going to have to work at maintaining that first love. David even said it, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now, I do believe in this day and hour the world needs some Christians like that. I'm convinced that in this day of godlessness, there ought to be a little bit of godliness. 
little bit more than just form and religiosity, but somebody who's in love with the Lord. I can't help but wonder what might happen tonight if there was a church body that was absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. What might be done if every Christian was absolutely in love with Jesus Christ? What if our love for Christ was hotter than the fire of hell? What if our love for Christ was stronger than the pressure of evil men? What if our love for Christ would drive us to his side and drive darkness back into his hiding place? Oh my, what if a choir would sing full of first love for Jesus Christ? What if a preacher would preach on fire with his first love for Jesus Christ? What if an army of soul winners went out into this world with the gospel and a first love for Jesus Christ? What if a bunch of folks gave with their first love of Jesus Christ? What if a bus worker was enraptured with his first love of Jesus Christ? What if a congregation would worship him like they were in love with him on that first day of salvation? Tonight as we get into our text, I want you to be honest with yourself like I've had to be with myself. And I want you to consider how's your love for Jesus? Where's your heart and relationship to him? Is your fellowship sweet? Is your devotion sincere? I'm not looking for a resume of works, and I'm not asking about your public walk, but I'm talking about in the secret place, in the shadow, in the private area of your life, how does your heart stand with God? I think about the song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, what a thing to say, my Jesus, tis now. And I thought about that. Can we say that tonight? That if ever I loved him, and I love him right now. I've never loved him anymore, and I don't want to love him any less. If ever I loved him, it is right now. But here's what Christ said in Revelation. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, Revelation 2 is Jesus writing here in the beginning of the chapter to the church in Ephesus. As we think on the text, consider Jesus is speaking to the pastor of the church. But he's also speaking to the entirety of the church. And also, as all the Bible, there's an application. Jesus is speaking to me and he's speaking to you. The church in Ephesus, there's two things to remember. Number one, it had a powerful parentage. Number two, it's in a very pagan place. You study out the church of Ephesus in chapter 19 of the book of Acts and 20 and so on, you'll find in Ephesus there was no neutral area. It's either revival or riot. If you preach in that city, you get a pucker up or punch. Somebody's going to want to swing at you or shout your praises. They're either going to burn their books or try to burn the preacher. It's a crazy place, but it's a strong church. You understand this church has some of the best preachers on the pages of the Word of God. Priscilla and Aquila evangelized this church. The man Apollos enriched this church with his preaching. Paul was there twice and he established that church through his teaching. Timothy was the pastor of that church. He equipped them to do the work of God. I mean, Antiochus was there and exhorted them. John himself, who wrote this epistle, also pastored that church. So this church has a great heritage, but it's in a very pagan place. The city of Ephesus is a very wicked city wrapped in idolatry. They worship the goddess Diana. Their silversmiths would make little idols to their god. 
The temple of Diana was the center of the city. In that temple, the most base sins that could be committed were often committed in worship to that false deity. That was a free city. It was a city that wasn't uh, under Roman rule, though it was a Roman province. It was a place of judicial judgment. It was a place of power and prestige, a commercial place. One ancient writer I was reading said this, there was more people asleep in Ephesus at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. It was just a sin city, a wicked place. But that's where God planted this church. Right there in the hot spot of hell, he put a church with a powerful parentage in a pagan place. Now, you study out these letters, they all have a similar formula. There's an introduction that describes Christ. There's insight into the qualities of the church and the corruption that they faced. There's instructions for how they could get right, and there's an invitation to get right and overcome. I was studying this letter, and let me give you an outline, and we'll consider it, and then I'll give you the truth of the message. And if you act like you're not Presbyterians tonight, I'll smile at you too, all right? Number one, listen to me. The first thing you'll notice in this chapter is the characteristics of the presiding Christ. Look at verse number one. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So right out the gate we find Christ presiding in this church. You read that description in verse one. It tells us he is active, he is authoritative, he is aware, and he is accessible. It tells us he's in control. It tells us he is concerned and he's at the very center of his church. I like that. He holds the seven stars in his hand. He's got everything under control. I like it. He's walking in the mist. He's observing. He is seeing. He's well aware of what's going on. I'm glad tonight that Jesus is well aware and he's in control. He knows what the need is. He knows what the trouble is and he is God enough to handle whatever it might be. The next thing I see is this, the commendation of the church's position. There's a lot about this church that is right. Look at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Now, verse 6 is part of this as well. He said, you said you have the Nicolaitans. You said you hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You read that. Here's this church. It's a diligent church, a dedicated church, a discerning church, and a defensive church that would guard the gospel. Thank God for churches like that. I like it. It said they were working. They're laboring. They're putting in effort in doing the work of God. They're discerning those that step on the scene. Can I say something quickly? Just because somebody calls themselves a preacher or a prophet or an apostle or has a Facebook page or a Twitter feed or writes a blog, it does not mean that they are a spokesperson for God. And he calls it out. They were suffering, yet they were steadfast. Then I'll give you the last part, and then we'll get to the third part of my outline, the fourth part of the outline, the condemnation, or rather the consolation of the church's perseverance. In verse 7, he promises, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, sandwiched in between the church's position and the church's perseverance is the church's problem. In verse 4, it says, Nevertheless... All those good things withstanding, I have somewhat against thee, 
because thou hast left thy first love. Think with me. The church at Ephesus was a strong church. It was a separated church. It was a suffering church, and I believe it was a spiritual church. In fact, Ephesus means desirable. Yet this model church had a major problem, and here it is. They left their first love. Their dilemma was dead orthodoxy. They clung to letter, forsaking love. Now, there's two things about verse 4 that I want us to see. The first thing is the phrase first love. What does it mean? The second thing is this word left. So what does it mean when it says first love? First love is love that is not polluted. It is love without dissimulation. It is love that is undivided. It is love that is not jaded. It is love that is not skeptical. It is love that is total. It is whole love. It is love that is deep and love that is unwavering. It's the kind of love that is ignorant of any kind of reason not to give total devotion to the object of that love. First love is innocent love. It is love full of trust. It is love full of faith. It is love that longs for fellowship. It is love that wants steadfast communion. What is first love? First love is selfless love. It is tireless love. It is matchless love. It is love that wants to serve the other. It is love that wants to please the other. First love is totally devoted to the pleasure, purpose, and the pleasing of the object of that love. You say, what is first love? Well, they used to have it. First love is the love of a saved sinner. The first moment after experiencing the grace of God. What is first love? First love is a seasoned saint who's tried the Lord and found him better than ever before. What is first love? It is Paul's sentiment for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What is first love? It is the initial love. It is the undeterred love. It is the undistracted love. It is the undiminished love. It is a heart tuned to sing the praises of heaven and the only anthem it knows is glory to God. It's a pure well. It's a white hot fire. It's an unblemished jewel. First love longs to read his Bible. First love loves to sing the hymns. First love prays without ever ceasing. First love burns to give the gospel. First love submits and never questions. First love trusts and has complete faith. It's a spiritual springtime where the flowers bloom and the sun shines and the birds sing. Oh, I think about it. It's I am his and he is mine. First love cherishes Calvary. First love rejoices in resurrection. First love waits for his glorious appearing. First love sets its affection on things above. He said, that's what you used to have. That kind of love. First love. So from the text, it looks like these Christians in Ephesus had possessed that kind of love, deep, devoted, undivided love. They'd been enraptured, if you will, with the Savior. And the fruit of that kind of love is evidenced in the commendation or the positive things that Christ mentions about this church. But they left it. Now, I thought about that word left, convicting. There's two ways to look at it. First, I can leave things on accident. Now, I know you don't do that. I've only, I leave my kid, my keys, but not my cash. Amen, right there. Anyway, unless it's bucket day and then I leave it at home. There are two ways to look at it. First, you leave something on accident. We've all left things before that we didn't mean to leave, and when we discovered we left it, we wish we had it. Maybe this church had gotten so caught up in working for Jesus, they quit walking with Jesus, but not on purpose. 
Maybe they were so busy in taking a stand and engaging their hands that they neglected their heart, but not on purpose. It's an accidental neglect. That could happen. But there's another way to think about the word left. There's also a purposed connotation to the word left. The Bible doesn't say they forgot their first love. It says they left their love. I wonder, could it be they didn't make the conscious decision maybe to allow the things of God to creep in place of actually loving God? Perhaps they justified it in their mind by saying, well, I'm doing what he wants me to do. Isn't that enough? I'm sitting where he told me to sit. Isn't that enough? I'm giving where he told me to give. Isn't that enough? And they traded devotion on purpose for duty or worship for work. Mark 4.19 said, In the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. That could be anything you want to put in there. Entering in, choke the word, and it, become, it becometh unfruitful. So whatever the cause is or whatever the reason is, the Bible said they left that pure, real, first love for the Lord. They were laboring, but they were not loving. And the danger of this is, Jesus says, I will shut that place down if all you're going to do is the motion, amen, without the devotion. He said, I will close the church that is wrapped up in just moving, 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 but never takes the time to walk with me and fellowship with me and sit at my feet and enjoy my presence and praise my name and put their head on my breast and just be with me a little bit. He said, I want more than your hands. I want your heart. I want more than your effort, man. I want your devotion. I want more than you show it up. I want you to sit down with me a little while and spend some time at my feet. And let me say, that problem started in Ephesus, but it has not stopped. It is still prevalent in this day and hour as well. God has drawn us with bands of love, but how often we run from the love of our God. I'm talking corporately. It can happen to a church and individually. It happens to the Christian. Maybe familiarity does it. Maybe the flesh does it. Maybe foolish things do it. Maybe our focus is robbed and it causes us to lose our love, but whatever it is, I want to ask you, how's your heart for God tonight? Christianity is not a religion of the hands. We're not legalists. It's a religion of the heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. It's not what entereth into the mouth that defileth the man, but what proceeds forth from the heart. Everything I do ought to be birthed from devotion. Let me give you a recipe. Let me ask you something. Have you lost your first love in these last days? Here's three ways to get it back. You have to have them all. Number one, remember. There's a lot about remembering in the Bible. In fact, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Remember the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Do these things in remembrance of me, the Lord's table. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. But look what it says. Remember, it says, from whence thou art fallen. He doesn't say here, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to remember what you fell into. He said, I want you to remember where you fell from. I want you to remember how good it was. I remember how devoted you were. I want you to remember how much in love with me you used to be. I remember you to remember how faithful you used to be. I want you to go back to that day one kind of love that you had for me and remember how good it was back then. Remember where you've fallen from. We've 
sing that song sometimes. Remember I'm human. That's, that's dumb, by the way. Remember I'm human and humans forget. Remind me. He, he doesn't forget that you're human. Amen. Remember I'm human and human. We remind him every moment of the day. Remember I'm a human and humans forget. And that's so true. But we prove that time and time again. Drifting does not, is not simply our, our lack of it. It starts with a lack of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's birth that are not remembering how much he loved you in the first place. Familiarity breeds a coolness, which brings corruption, which then brings contempt. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing because I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my soul. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy hands, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You say, I don't have that love burning in my heart like I used to. Well, then go back down memory's lane and remember where you were when you got born again, when you got saved. Oh, my, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He reached out in that horrible pit and picked me up and put my feet on a solid rock. He established my goings. I wasn't born saved. I was born headed to hell. And if I get cold on God, I got to make a trip back to Calvary. And the day I got converted and saved by the grace of God, I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve anything. I'd be in hell right now. Anything better than hell is more than I deserve. You say, I don't feel like I love him. Then race to the cross. Go back to the day of your salvation. Go back to the road to Damascus. You're not going to hell. Remember your conversion. I'm saved by his power divine. Saved to new life. Life is now sweet and my joy is complete. I'm saved. Saved, saved. And such were some of you. But you're washed. Hallelujah. Think about his sweetness. We got this on the radio the other day. Brother Martinez pitched it to me. And I've not been able to get over it yet. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We talked about these little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Man, Evans, the, uh, Brother Gravely still has culture shock, all the places you took him. He said, do you look at that place? It just looks like salmonella on the outside. <laughs> I mean, it just looks like, you know, it, it's just Ebola or whatever that stuff was. He said, you just look at the hole-in-the-wall. He said, it's disgusting. He said, but boy, it looks ugly from the outside, but you enter in and taste what's on the inside. He said, man, you'll go back time and time again because you liked what you got when you went there the first time and got a taste of it. Remember that first time you got a taste of the Lord? Remember that first time that you got a good taste of the bread of life and a drink of living water? Remember the first time he was sweeter than honey in the honeycomb and it just changed your life forever and you're, you were turned around in a new creature in Christ. I tell you, remember his sweetness. What about this? Remember his steadfastness. I've been young, now I'm old, but I've never seen one thing. Now listen, there's a lot of things I haven't seen that I could see if I wanted to. Is that too deep? I've never seen the Roman Colosseum in person, but I could if I wanted to. I've never seen, let's see, what else have I never seen? I'm, praise the Lord, I've never seen downtown San Francisco and I don't plan on it. I could see it if I wanted to, though. I've never seen the London, see, the London Bridge is far, London Bridge. But I could see it if I wanted to. But there's one thing I couldn't see even if I wanted to. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen this. Never seen the righteous forsaken. 
nor his seed begging bread. You can travel all over this world, east to west, north to south, every longitude, latitude line that your GPS can get you to, and you'll never find a moment, you'll never find a second, you'll never find an instance where God didn't put food on the table of his children or clothes on their back or supply their every need. And you go back in your life and remember that time when you were at the end of the rope and found out Jesus was holding the other end and he showed up right on time like he does every time and he met your need. Remember, remember. It's like that old Indian. He sold oil from his property. But he always got pessimistic about it. He forgets sometimes. He sold that oil, made all kinds of money, and it was in the bank. He'd walk into the bank every so often complaining, and he'd say, grass is dead, water holes empty, sheep are dying. Just complaining, complaining, complaining. And the banker would get out all those silver dollars and let him stack it up. He'd get excited as he stacked it up. He'd remember how rich he was. And he'd say, boy, grass is green, water holes overflowing. Sheep are alive. And I tell you, if you and I just sit there and start stacking the goodness of God, that first love might come back in our heart again. All right, number one, you got to remember, I'd like to preach for four more hours, but I can't. I'm too old and sick and tired. All right, number two, and I get paid by the hour. All right, here we go, number two. Remember, number two, repent. That's a Bible word. What's that mean? Acknowledge. What's that mean? Agree. What's that mean? Doing about face. Turn and then return to where you used to be. Repentance is a daily duty. Not motivated by consequence, but motivated by love for the one that you've hurt. Repentance means a brokenness. It means woe is me. It means sorrow. It means contrition. It means to humble yourself. It means to turn back. I think about repentance. It causes a heightened sense of sin. A renewed sense of conviction, a revived longing to get right, an active pursuit to be restored, a reclaiming of my forfeited blessings. Repentance starts with a troubled spirit, a pricked heart, a convicted conscience, and then an honest understanding. Ahab tore his garment but would not rend his heart. God is not looking for someone to put on a show, skip down an aisle, whistle Dixie, pop their bubble gum, pray a little prayer on an altar, go back the way they came. True repentance is literally being moved and broken over whatever it is in your life that you need to get right. It's a change of mind, a change of attitude, and a change of behavior. The pathway to real revival is paved with real repentance. Repentance is forsaking whatever I've run to to run back to whoever it was I have forsaken. Repentance is turning away from whatever I've turned to to turn back to what I turned away from. Repentance is leaving what I left for to run back to the thing that I left in the first place. Repentance is saying, no more hog pen. I'll take the house of my father. It's taking ownership of my wrong, confessing my transgression and a desire to get right. And here's what the Bible said. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. But where does it come from? The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Amen. Psalm 119, 59, verse 62. I don't have time to read it, but it talks about realizing how good God has been. Get you to go back to him. All right, here's the last one. Resume. After you remember, repent, get it right. Then he says this, look, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. See that phrase that says, do the first works. You can labor without love, but you cannot love without laboring. Hebrews 6.10 says he'll not forget our work or labor of love. You say, what is the first works? You tell me, everybody's are different. You tell me what you used to do when you first got saved that you won't do now. 
Oh my. You tell me how fervent you were for soul winning and faithfulness, Riley, when you first got saved and how you never come now. You tell me how you used to come to men's prayer meeting when you first got saved and now you never come. You tell me how you used to tithe and now you've been saved long enough to where you know better. So now you don't tithe. You tell me how you used to work a bus route. Amen. Before you found a good excuse not to and now you don't. I'm not trying to be harsh on this. I'm just saying the reality of it is first love, first works. Amen. We were talking about this the other day. I think Brother John and I were talking about it. I said, you look at it. I said, that generation of people who were here from the beginning and helped build this thing are still keeping it going. That's dangerous. I mean, it's not like that whole total, but it's like that, isn't it? It really is. That's dangerous. They haven't lost their first love. But then there's some of us in my age bracket that are riding the wave of the, what they started. And that wave will eventually crash on the shore if somebody else doesn't get in love with Jesus and say, I'll do what they've been doing. I love my churches way more than what money you put in a bucket. Amen. It'll be the devotion you put into the thing in these places of service, first works, prayer, Bible study, soul winning, just basic, simple stuff. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. He said, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I wonder if that's true. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.